Hey, Benjamin, how are you? Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for putting this together. Of course, and thanks for joining us in the middle of a poop talk, yeah, which is uh, not uncommon. Do you already <laughs> regret this? <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm cool with poop. If you guys want to talk about scat, that's all good with me. I know. <laughs> yeah, don't look up Clark's search history. <laughs> we all have our jet. We all have our paths. You know, I again, I bring that up on the show a lot as a joke, but you do have an iPad that you uh, keep locked up and clean. <laughs> special what? <laughs> No, I'm sorry. You know, whenever Was we my have... iPad a gimp? <laughs> yeah, it's got a ball gag. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I promise. No more. Now, uh, fellas, it's it's a joy to talk to you today. And um I uh I'm going to try to not I feel like and this is this is hundred percent on me. Uh not not on Russell, but I don't know. Every time we have an and, and you and we God, Russell, how many Australian filmmakers have we talked to? Probably half a dozen, yeah. I would say. I feel comfortable with that. So okay. a fair amount of, um, of filmmakers we've talked to from Australia, every time I always check in uh, and talk about Wake and Fright. And so I feel like that's just a good opportunity <laughs> to kind of – that's sort of my test to see if you guys are cool. So that's just sort of my thing. Um, I don't know. But you know, there's a lot of, of great Australian films that um, have kind of made it over here uh, to the States – but when Wake and Fright did its whole thing with uh, Scorsese was kind of behind that, right? With the re-release. And then mm-hmm. we had theatrical re-releases and then it, it dropped for VOD. Um, we had several screenings out here in the Bay Area and it kind of caught this, you know, second, maybe third life, whatever it is. Uh, but well-deserved. And so that really kind of is now the baseline of how we view all of Australian film is Wake and Fright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was actually called Outback on its original run, I believe. Um, Benny and I have both seen it. We actually lived in the town where a good portion of it was shot in Broken Hill. So it was really? pretty cool to be able to, yeah. So, well, for a year we lived there. We were uh, doing this little like Mad Max sort of ripoff thing that never really came about. Um, but, yeah, it was a cool movie and it was cool that like, Basically, the streets are barely changed. So what you see in the movie is very similar to what you still see in Broken Hill now. Now, I think that one of the the best things that you can say about Wake and Fright is it may be the best drinking movie that there is. <laughs> well, you know, I've, we've had a, had, a, had a laugh where, like, so much of the horror comes from, like, have a beer, mate, have a beer, mate. But it's like, you just had a big night. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not so bad. Who who was the um, singer that died recently? That did uh, he's Randy's a big fan of him. A uh, cheeseburger in paradise. Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. You know, yeah. I, I don't know how any of y'all feel about Jimmy Buffett, but I heard somebody give a like heartfelt kind of defense of his catalog of music and his like Hawaiian shirt unbuttoned, and they're like, you know, when you listen to his music, they're actually kind of like a lament of a modern kind of uh, depression. Where it's like I'm in I'm in a resort in another country, and I'm walking around with my margarita, and I hate my life. Like that's really what like uh, those songs are about. Yeah, and it's funny like hearing that because when I watched <laughs> um, Wake and Fright, I was in a theater, and uh, I was there with Oksana, who's she's another producer, not on camera, and we got up four or five times to go get a beer. Yet that movie is kind of all about like. Maybe you should be in control 
of your vessel. (laughs) It's just, it's funny how like art can do that. Like it can give you a different, you can walk away with something that the, the art wasn't trying to compel you to do. And Mm -hmm. to, to walk that back is like uh, an American show. Whenever I think of an Australian film, I mostly hear about it because it's going to be like brutal or like, it's almost like exploitation is still a thing. So, you know, coming in when we jumped into your movie, I'm like, oh, what is this gnarly movie going to be? Which I mean, I mean that from a good stance. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think I was expecting what I got where y'all have a. Yeah, just a feel good movie, you know? <laughs> a feel good movie called Beaten to Death. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you do open up and you deliver on the title immediately. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We, um, from pretty much the get go, we were like, we wanted to start with him getting beat up. And end with him getting beat up. <laughs> Two nice little neat bookends, you know? So with that in mind, how do you cast for a movie like that? <laughs> <laughs> Simple. You go to one of your best mates from high school and you say, hey, do you want to be beaten up for 90 minutes? And he's like, yep, yep, yep. He's a sadist. What can I say? <laughs> so the great yep. Tom Roach, we all actually, that's where Ben, Tom and I all met in high school. And so we've always done the movie stuff together. And yeah, when it came to doing this, we only had Tom in mind and when we asked him and he was, yeah, he was keen. Yeah. From the absolute get go. Yeah. It was, it was always him from the start. Um, And we just, we knew what he could do, his, his limits. And we kind of really just tailored the role on what can we do in our fantasies to Roach that we've always wanted to do to him. Uh, And he was on board. Think about if you've got a mate who you've had for 20-odd years and there's a lot of pent-up rage and aggression that you want to take out of him on him, just cast him in a movie called Beaten to Death. So how how long was the filming process? How long did you guys shoot? Um, all up, so it was like it was because we were a micro-budget production, um, mm-hmm. we had an initial 10 shoot days. Um, but then that sort of blew out, um, where we were going to do a few more weekends after that, but there was rain, there was COVID. So over the, it ended up being like over the course of a whole year, us having to like go back to the farm and just pick off scenes that we missed or there were a few reshoots that we had to do. So in some ways, like it was the initial shoot was quick, but then it just kept, it just kept going. So yeah, a lot of the movie is days, I think all up like in mm-hmm. terms of shooting days just 27 um but that was sometimes we'd scrap to the farm one day for just a couple of shots in a scene uh, and that was it. Right so how much like how much um how many locations did you guys have because it seemed like um you know for a, a good portion of the movie you know our protagonist is uh wandering the wilderness um, with uh, very little devices uh, at his ex- uh, exposure uh, to defend himself. And so, you know, um, how how creative did you have to be with shooting to make it seem like that you had the vast, you know, Australian outback at your disposal? Well, on one hand, it's actually like kind of geographically accurate where there's the two farmhouses that he kind of goes between and they're actually on the same property and probably 500 metres apart. Um, so, yeah, that actually made it really simple because we could just sort of have this base camp and, and, and go between the two. But um, as far as the other locations go, like it's 
um, we shot in the area basically um, close to where we grew up. And so we, over the years, had either spotted locations driving past, up and down the highway, or we had relationships with people who were um, landowners or whatever. So um, it actually, it was reasonably easy to, to access all of our locations, I think. Yeah, and the good thing was that a lot of the locations are places that we'd shot before. Um, so we already had those good working relationships with the property owners um, from our previous yep. projects where they knew that we weren't going to fuck with their shit. Um, we weren't going <laughs> to let sleep out the gate or anything like that. And so they were they were really accommodating for us. I'm not happy to just have us back. Rush, get in. Yeah, well, I'm, I, now the film's coming out as we're talking to you, and I just don't know. You guys have a lot of interesting, like, storytelling going on here, and we open up the movie, and for a while we don't know why we are where we are or what's going on. And I, like, from an outsider point of view, like, I don't know what would be spoiling. And I kind of want to talk. So I looked at your IMDb, and the synopsis here is a desperate choice leads Jack down a path that leaves him beaten and bruised as he struggles against a man, nature, and his own insanity. Now, did you all write that, or is that like a distribution thing? I think that was us, wasn't it, Benny? Yeah, yeah, pretty sure that yeah. was us. It was, I mean, uh, there's also a couple of different synopsis um, where like, we address the eye-gouging stuff because that's obviously a big part of it. But um, as far as spoilers go, boys, um, the movie's called Beaten to Death. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, here's the thing. I feel like your synopsis could have been like, a man is beaten to death. You know, and it's like, okay, but I mean, clearly we know the journey, but when we open up, you know, the nature of storytelling is the protagonist, you're, you're on, you're instantly on their side. Mm -hmm. Even if you know somebody who's in this situation probably didn't get there by accident. And, uh, you know, throughout the film, it's revealed later that he did, he made a choice to come here and, uh, I, I'll just put it out now. Everybody should go watch it. And if you're listening to this, you can always. You, you should have the capacity to visit a movie where you understand the story already. Maybe a little bit's revealed. Anyway, there's a drug deal that goes down. And I was wondering immediately with, a, uh, with the type of production you had, because we love indie movies, that if this is a story based on something that actually happens, like do, like, do urban people go out to the country to get their uh, package of cocaine? Or is this a matter of... We have a really cool location and we want to tell a story. Yeah, so let's just move. Educate us on the drug trade of Australia, please. <laughs> Where do you get your drugs? Well, I think a, a, a big part of the whole the drug deal setup was that um, when we got to the why they are there, it was a, well, we don't want to do the standard guy and girl going a weekend away. Um that's not a criticism of any filmmakers that do do that. It's just that we've already done that with our first movie, Blood Hunt. So we didn't want to revisit that trope again, but we still needed a way for them to be in this dingy farmhouse out of their elements from somewhere. And I can't remember whether it was yourself, Kurdo, or whether it was me that came up with the, the drug deal idea. Um, but it seemed to just be a good mesh of the griminess of what we were going for there. And it also talks about the desperation that they're going into. Um, into like in Australia, there's like a housing crisis and people just, you know, really struggle to buy houses. So it's just about 
someone trying to take a leap to get out of the cycle that they are in and is still getting beaten to death by the man. <laughs> but it's also like we wanted to put him in kind of this bit of a moral gray area where like um, he did put them in that, in that situation that he's in. Um, so then the audience up to that point, you know, I think would be quite sympathetic and through the whole movie I think he still would be, but we don't make it simple at that point because it's like he put them there in the vicinity of this dangerous guy and it's kind of like what did you expect would happen? Probably not that you'd get your eyes gouged out, but um, <laughs> yeah, I. It's interesting because the pacing you have now, when this movie came across uh, our radar, I thought immediately is going to be like kind of like a gore fest, like genre, not a lot to offer with storytelling or maybe anything interesting, like cinematically, but we get a lot of good genre tropes and, and I couldn't have been well, more sort of, wrong. It's an exploitation title. It definitely. But again, when I think of your movie, I think of almost like slow cinema. You have so much like pacing and the cinematography is really wide. Like you really encapture like, um, exteriors and landscapes and that's not what i would have imagined from beaten to death so i'm kind of curious as you two have, as like filmmakers are you horror fans or do you come from like a broader like cinema background or like what influenced this movie big musical guys yeah <laughs> well we're horror fans first but we love all cinema um and something that we that we talked about doing with this early on and saying that we did was Stylistically, like it is a little bit of a mix of genres because, and that's what's so cool about horror movies that um, horror movies can take parts from different genres, whether it's a horror comedy or horror action or whatever. So, with this, like you've got just like your hardcore violence, but then um, there are a few stylistic choices where it almost feels like it's kind of a biblical epic. There's, they're singing a song. It's a, there's a bit of a musical sequence. And so I think that was something that we found fun and something that um, where if we played around with the tone a little bit that even though it's just it's essentially a, a guy trying to get home um, with the nonlinear stuff as well, it would just keep it a little more interesting. How, I want to go back to to shooting like where you grew up. Like, mm -hmm. how was that? You know, returning home and filming this movie, you know, where this guy got his eyes gushed out <laughs> and, you know, trying to avenge his wife and things just aren't going great for him. <laughs> well, like all of our movies have had these like kind of pretty like brutal rural settings. Um, and so Benny and I both grew up in like sort of rural regional areas. and. So we certainly didn't grow up with characters quite like these, but you know, you could say sort of versions of them. I think, couldn't you, Benny? And um, and so we sort of draw a lot on on that. Yeah, with our characters, like from this and our previous film, Blood Hunt and Slaughterhouse Killer. There's just little slices that we've brought from, at least for myself, from people that I I know in a visual sense. Um, not so much from a mental sense where they're psychotic nutbags. Um, but <laughs> the, 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 
the way that we've kind of cast our roles and dress the actors um, and have them in the locations they're in a, a kind of real similar to people that we we do know from our past or even our present in fact um so just, just like just a, aesthetically like their style yeah. that sort of thing yeah yeah and and then the other thing that we do as well so we tend to write these like very very like classically australian blokey characters and um to get that dialogue we just basically write as if it was our dad's talking <laughs> what are yeah. this what is that's talk what are their speech patterns yeah okay <laughs> yeah if there's a man talking and we always like because when we write our dialogue we always act it out while we as we write, we write it out and then we act it out and see if it sounds real and one of the questions we ask if it's a if it's a male character we're always would our dad ever say this and if it's like a nah he would never say it this way we rewrite it so then you've got benny and i in a room just pretending like we're our fathers and it's not weird at all. <laughs> so I, well, also one of the main characters in the movie uh, is portrayed by David Tracy, who is this, you know, giant silver fox of a man. Um, so, so his, so you're saying that the words coming out of his mouth were modeled after an Australian father. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah. That's terrifying guys. <laughs> And Dave could deliver it. He could deliver it with gusto. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, where did you Where did you find him? Is he another um, so, childhood friend? No, Dave. <laughs> um, well, actually, uh, the guy that plays Ricky, we we went to uh, grade school together. So, um, but yeah, David was um, he was the only person that we actually got from interstate. So basically, it was a so we're from a state called Tasmania. It was basically a fully Tasmanian cast and crew. Um, but we still, we needed to find that like big bad guy. We had our Ricky, but we needed our Ned. Um, and so we just like jumped on some of the casting platform, online casting platforms. And we found Dave, um, like they have little showreel things. And we, we found a showreel of his, where he was doing sort of like a, a similar kind of character, I guess, Benny. Yeah. Um, we just yeah. like, that's our guy. And so we, yeah, for we sure. Just, got in contact with him and he was keen yeah i'm pretty sure we, we've gone in through star now um and one of the good things about dave is that we wrote the role in a particular way and he kind of turned it on its head just a little bit um which kind of took away a lot of the, the comedy aspects of the original dialogue and just the, in his performance just made it a little bit more sinister um, and when we saw more, that and what he was doing, it was, we were like, yes, this is perfect. Yeah, because we wrote it like Ned, he wasn't, he certainly wasn't jokey, but we did have a bit more weird to his character. Um, mm -hmm. But then Dave, just this beast of a man, just made it so much like tougher. Yeah. Right. And I think... Is, is that something you guys find yourselves doing to where, you know, you, you write something on the page, but then, you know, once you get, you know, an actor involved and if they see something that you didn't see, like you just kind of go with it. Like that's important part of the process, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like in the case of writing Jack's character, because we were writing that for Tom, um, I mean, we, we know, we've got a fair idea how Tom's going to deliver a line. Um, but yeah, it's, there's always 
during the filmmaking process, you've always got to be open to surprises and different interpretations and work with your actors um, <laughs> to find what works. All right, Russ, what you got? You're over there ruminating. I am. Um, I only have like the most hackiest of questions. Now, the, that fits the, in the perfect. The style of production show. you have when you have a long form journey with a lead who is constantly bloodied. Do you have like a continuity blood guy? Like <laughs> I don't know how. Bi- oh, like, because one of those things. Like again, how I mean, corporate? I have a question. So me and Clark, we're in the same house right here, and we're sitting across from a table. So all this horror crap, you know, oh, it's mine. Right. <laughs> yeah, and you know the thing is that these are these are the kind of pressing questions that horror fans have. We're like, I don't know. Sometimes you can tell, especially on an indie production, mm-hmm. when they've like redressed blood, and it looks like like sometimes it gives a lot of character, and when it doesn't like line up. But with your movie, you did a lot of like hard things, like when somebody's eyes are removed, and you have like layer of like chunky visceral gore. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, how much attention does this need? <laughs> well, that's a sh- shout out to our makeup artist Danica and our producer Libby, who uh, made the who made the blood. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess with ours, as far as continuity goes, like because it is so caked on, maybe it'd be hard. If what am I trying to say? If there was a piece of cake that was missing, there's so much other. Cake- <laughs> Dead. It could be hard to notice, um, but you know that was that was something that we wanted to do from the get go. We wanted him to look re- really filthy. You know, he does get buried alive at one point, but we just wanted it to seem like <laughs> from the start to the end that he's really been through it. And um, because even like because he'd been doing it for so long, we had a few different shirts. Okay. Yeah. Sequence, but like, and they had different numbers for different layers of filth. <laughs> but um, his most filthiest shirt by the end of it, like, it had not just like the blood and the dirt that we'd put on him, but it was there was also like sweat, and there was even like, <laughs> it was just it's like yellowy greeny stain that had like developed on it as well. Oh, and, man. And it's so so, like, what was the temperature out there while y'all were shooting? Uh, it was winter, so it was pretty cold. Um, it was sort of anything between 10 and 15 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in. All right, Oksana, can you convert that for us <laughs> into our inferior? 60 uh, degrees. Okay. Oh, okay. It's actually kind of chilly out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So taking where we live, we're like the bottom of the state. So, um, you know, a lot of people's idea of Australia is like hot desert, um, but that's not really Tassie. It's cold dark wintry most of the year well okay y'all talked about um like kind of avoiding trope traps of the genre that you found yourself in was there any like aesthetic traps you tried to avoid like immediately when i saw the location you can't help but think of like texas chainsaw or like i i feel like american rural horror is a little bit different because it's kind of like a lot of horror fans tend to live in like cities so you, you know, your imagination will run wild and you're like, anybody who's living out there on their own has to be like wacky and clearly <laughs> they're eating people where I didn't really get that from this film. It, it almost felt like, you know, uh, the desperations, what brought them out there, but not that everybody you'd find would be this level of like criminal. Cause these people didn't feel unhinged to me. It mm. kind of felt like a, 
you shouldn't have come here and bada bing, bada boom. This took a bad turn. Yeah. But I feel like there's, there's could have been a movie where things worked out for these people too. <laughs> yeah. Well, with the, with our bad guys, like we didn't want them to, we don't, didn't want to just make them bad guys for the sake of it. Like we actually tried to give each one of them some sort of motivation. Um, and I think that a sort of a fair chunk of that came from you as well, Benny. Um, coming up with like the, these backstories where like Ricky at the start is dealing with his PTSD, um, Ned's caring for his mother. And then it's um, ultimately like the family loyalty that he feels that he needs to sort of avenge his brother. Um, what was the second part of your question? <laughs> hey, here, here, get used to it. I get, I get long winded and, uh, in, Sam, just be thankful he's asking <laughs> questions at this point. In a long statement, eventually I'll try to find a question, but um, it it at no point is it your fault. It's always mine. You know, I, I, when I started off and I was talking about Australian film and how it feels like, whether it be like Picnic at Hanging Rock to like Wake and Fright, it's always the like most gnarly that finds its way out here. What mm-hmm. was that movie we watched at the Roxy? We had a little uh, local theater and it was Hounds like, of Love. Hounds of Love. Did yeah. you guys watch that? I, it's been on my list for ages, but I still haven't got around to it. You know, I I think it was like based on a true crime story mm. and it's brutal and we depict like terrible things. And I remember being like, eh, it wasn't that crazy, which <laughs> I feel like isn't fair. I feel like that's a reaction because it was Australian horror that made mm. its way into our little like art house cinema. Mm. And I, I don't know. I, Oksana really took the, that movie, but. I I find myself coming in with that expectation. It's not fair because you know what I walked away from beaten to death was a I don't know. It felt like y'all were inspired by westerns, and it did. Is that the case at all? Yeah, I guess it sort of goes back to what I was saying before about like how we're um, mixing genres a little bit stylistically. Um, like we're big fans of the western, um, like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is one of my favorite movies. Um, I don't, I don't think we necessarily said, I don't think we quite made the association of a Western, but now that you, that you say that, like, yeah, I can definitely say it. Yeah. Well, the, I think the main never, thing. Go ahead. I was, gonna, I was just going to say that we, I don't think we ever discussed it directly, but both Sam and myself have a huge love for Westerns. Um, and we also have a huge love for seventies horror, such as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I think just our minds just instinctively merged those two things together for beaten to death in the process. And also you think about the landscapes in those two things. I mean, that, that mirrors, you know, sort of the landscape that we're dealing with, um, you know, here in, in, you know, telling this story. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like when people really discuss like Western cinema though, that starts to become like, a really superficial thing. Like when you look at like the Michael Mann movies, they're in like the Rockies, which couldn't mm-hmm. be more different than like the painted gorge or something. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, at the end of the day, I think Westerns are really about like strong juxtaposition and your lead. One thing about Westerns is usually when the outsider rides into town, they're bringing trouble. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, they're the wild one who can't fit in with society. But yet mm-hmm. in this movie, you kind of flip that where it's like Mm -hmm. the urban dude rolled into town and unlike Texas Chainsaw, we actually go to a neighbor's house. Like that's the big thing is like, there's a community of these people. And 
And I don't know, it just paints like a like a reverse Western. And again, I got to mention the pacing. It felt like it was a a flex on your guys part. Like, I think a lot of horror fans, they kind of get caught up in like the 80s of it all. Like they try to have like a really punchy, quick, constant colors and blood. And we have to keep people entertained. And we tend to, I mean, on this show, like our producer whose camera's off, he watched The House of the Devil for the first time like two weeks ago and like loved it. And I think those movies like live on longer. And you share a pace more with House of the Devil than, than I don't know, the Gremlins. Well, yeah, like what what influenced that? Because it feels like you have to make a confident decision to not like cut or like. Was there ever any pressure? Like, I'm I'm guessing you guys are using like a third party distribution. Oh no, we know it's fucking. Uh, God, I dare get, not say the name. Oh, you're I wrote the name it down. Wrong. Welcome villain. I've been calling it Hello Neighbor, which is, the, which is so, <laughs> stupid, so stupid. Which, which is a video game yeah. that Clark po- pointed out. But, but now yeah. that you said it, I can't separate the two. But that's great. Now, no, and for people listening, um, welcome villain. I had to check my notes welcome again. Villain? Immediately, I had to check my notes. Welcome villain. They've kind of become uh, like a parallel screen box. Like it's like in no world did we need another distro company. But you're picking out these interesting like micro budget indie horror films. So when you guys like just got grouped in there, we're like, hey, we got to check it out. So, yeah, yeah, we, we we love <laughs> what they're doing. <laughs> um, so they they contacted us like um, uh, sort of the start of the year, and um, they said that they loved the movie and they wanted to put it out. And um, by that stage, I think they'd only released had they released Hunter Kill Her by then, Benny. Yeah, yeah I think they released so. Hunter Killer and were close to doing well, Malum. Released, well. yeah, and. Um, and we loved what they were about. We loved just how passionate those guys were. And it's been so such a cool process um, working with these guys and just seeing how they're developing um, everything from like the marketing materials to the marketing campaign because with our first couple of movies, like they had releases but um, nothing like what Welcome to London has done for this. So like, um, we were just waiting for the trailer to, uh, for the first trailer to come out, and we, then when we saw it, we were like, "Oh my god, awesome!" And then when they put out the poster, we were like, "Minds were blown!" Like we <laughs> we we loved it. So we think that Welcome Villains definitely one to watch for the horror fans out there because they like they want to do cool stuff, and they are one hundred percent horror fans themselves. And so, like, watch this space; <laughs> they they're going to keep doing awesome stuff. Yeah, I, it's really cool. Like you're sharing good company here. I, mm. We've talked to every filmmaker that they've put out a movie for. I, I, yeah. Because Malum is the other one. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. Um, also, uh, we'll bring in Oksana here for this because uh, Oksana, what did they tell you? Uh, that What What did the Connect at, at Welcome Villain say about this movie? Of how? Uh, oh, just that he, he had seen it um, like several weeks ago and it really stuck with him. Um, but you said something about how uh, disturbing it was that he needed to take a nap or something. I don't know. <laughs> he said something. I don't know. He really sold you guys. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't give a shit about that. I, the thing is the branding now. And the thing it's that- It's the word Malum, of mouth, baby. No, it's so scary. You got to take no, a nap. Everybody's fucking shilling something. <laughs> and you know, if you're tied to the company, you're putting it out. It Here's the thing. With Malum and Hunter Killer, they're not like, God, you know. 
we have a 12 star rating system here on the show. Oh boy. It's very it's, controversial rating. It's system. very accurate too and complicated, but I, I kind of take like film rating too seriously. And I always <laughs> butt up with horror fans because everybody wants to rate everything. Like they're the gods of cinema and they have the gavel and they're like, this movie had poor lighting. Ding and star. And it's like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Roger Dinkins. Dude, I mean, look, we talked about Texas Chainsaw multiple times. That's a fucking indie production. Yeah. And it's perfect. Well, and it adds to it. So I think, I I don't know why we went on this huge thing for welcome villain right here. I had to check again, (laughs) by the way, the third time. But they're sponsoring this week's episode. When I talk (laughs) about films and like horror films, I'm always looking for the way that they can navigate the genre. And if they're doing something different, like, I mean, how many times can you watch a haunted house story where it mm. plays out beat by beat every time with like a different cast and different title and maybe a, a different theme of ghost, but like yeah. we got to subvert it and they do a great job of finding it. And y'all, y'all did it. And I, I don't know. I just, I feel like we haven't gotten to the root of your influences yet. Like what are y'all watching before you made this movie? Uh, well, <laughs> do you guys like well, film? As far as, <laughs> far as influences go for this, like kind of the, the two big ones are like um, 70s horror and the French New Extreme. Um, and we love that kind of that rough, raw quality of the 70s stuff. Um, but then when it comes to the French New Extreme, like there's this kind of like almost philosophical, like existential kind of thing going on um where it's just it's so bleak and it's so like emotionally draining um and and the violence as well um so for us it was kind of a, a mash of, of of those two things you I know it's interesting because well, when was, you oh, go ahead benjamin uh, sorry i was just gonna add that i think for me as well it was um going on to that dread that Sam's talking about um, in the process for me, a lot of it was I'm not interested in telling this perfect structured story of sorts. I'm interested in making the audience feel physically pummeled by what we're presenting them with. That was the foremost front thing for me in it. Sorry, all big Michael Haneke fans. (laughs) I've only seen... The, the remake of Funny Games, actually. Well, I mean, it's shot for shot. It's shot for shot. But, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's funny because I instantly thought of Funny Games when you were mm. talking about that. And I'm like, you know, again, you get into that that thing I mentioned earlier where the roles are kind of flipped. Like mm. the person who's the innocent who's kind of giving it up is showing up at the location. But that's not totally true because it is kind of like this guy shows up at your house and shit falls apart. Like the people who are the homesteaders out there, they kind of get the worst of it. Yeah. And for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Also, right. Sam, you got to get more Haneke in your movie diet, friend. <laughs> is it, I was reading about, um, is it Benny's video or Benny's, Benny's tape? Ta- or Benny's tape? Benny's video. Video. Because I was thinking, I don't want to say Benny's video, but maybe I watched Michael Haneke. <laughs> it is Benny's video. Yeah. Do you have more confidence in yourself? <laughs> Why was I thinking? See, I'm a huge found footage fan. So yeah. there's a thing in that in when you guys make your found footage movie, which I will be pressuring you to do at the end of this. <laughs> you know, they they tend to employ a lot of like titles that are more for utility than like sizzle and mm-hmm. tape. It's a thing. If you make a movie uh, like the Vatican tape, 
and you're not a fucking found footage movie, yeah. I will it will haunt me forever. <laughs> See these guys. <laughs> this is like their third. Is this uh, your guys' third feature? Yeah. Yeah, they're past. They're past the the. Uh, no, there's always time. No, no, no. They're past <laughs> the found footage. Found footage, your first film, then you move on. You can't. You don't go back to found footage. With Benny's video. We kind of get a taste of that. Yeah, you should. You got to watch Benny's video. Yeah, if you yeah, hate uh, animals, you definitely have to. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I believe it opens up with a uh, sheep getting bolted in the head. Oh yeah, right. Okay, good to know. <laughs> All right. So, so when you, when you've got your lead actor and he's, and he's wandering through, you know, this, this never ending landscape in Tasmania and you, you know, he's, he's got shit all over him and you've, you've fucked up his eyes. Can he see or he can't, or or was it important for him not to see? It's a bit of both. So there's sometimes when he's got the full prosthetic on and he couldn't see it all. Yeah. Like we, um, he tells the story where he felt like he was an infant again because, like, he was when he had to go pee pee, like, someone had to hold his hand and take him to the spot. <laughs> so, like, how, um, how, uh, during how, how long did he have to do that? And was it like a, a period to where you needed to, for him to acclimate to that? Or the first time he was really, you know, had no field of vision, you know, the camera's rolling? Well, He's described to us um, that he found it really isolating, I think was the word he used, wasn't it, Ben? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah, because like, like you know, he lost his, his main sense and so we're all like running around making the movie and like cracking jokes and whatever else and like when we were, said that when we stopped for lunch, he was just like sitting there and because he'd, he'd lost all kind of, spatial awareness as well and so he just kind of like withdrew um so yeah like there was definitely the the process of him having to kind of deal with that side of things um was there anything you could add to that benny yeah he um i guess just adding to that isolation um and i guess there's the separation where like when we would stop for lunch he could audibly hear that we're stopping for lunch but it wasn't this visual change for him where all of a sudden people are sitting down having fun more relaxed he was still very much in the dark of it all mm. um yeah, wasn't yeah great for him yeah yeah and so he he's also said that there was a bit of adjustment as well with uh the the scenes or the days where he is fully blind because a lot of it is uh, especially when we first started filming like um he was he, we had a, a big period of days where he was completely blind for all, all the days the of shooting and fully blind. Yeah. Yeah. First day yeah. fully blind. And then we finally got to a day where he, he could see and it was like, you could tell in his demeanor, in his character through the whole day that he was kind of, it's like he crawled out of this pit and the, the roach we all know and love <laughs> was there. It, it was like the dark half of source. So how was it directing him blind? Because you have him do a couple of things without vision, and I could just see that being kind of a nightmare. And then you bring in an animal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, like yeah, it was tough because um, you you really had to like physically like show him where things were. But I think it like it really added to it as well. Where like we could have um tried to have done 
more like giving him vision and then like um, digitally um, putting the, the, the eye gouge wound. Um, but by him being fully blind, there is that awkwardness where he's genuinely feeling around trying to find stuff. Um, so, yeah, like I think it was a good thing that we did it that way. Um, but it did slow down the process a lot because even like when you want to go for a new bike, it's like, all right, someone get Roach and then someone has to grab him by the hand and navigate him around and all that sort of thing. How big of a crew did you have? Uh, we were teeny tiny. So um, most days it was just like five of us. So um, I doubled up doing as a cinematographer. Um, Benny also did the sound. And we had um, our makeup artist Danica, our other producer Libby, and and Roach, and Tom. Now, is this a crew that you've used on your two other features too? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the first time that I'd I I shot one of our movies, and the first time Benny did sound, and um, that was because like all of our movies have had micro budgets, but this one we paired it back even more because oh. like, it was during COVID times. So we were like, if it's just like us five friends and it's um, this story that really centres around Roach's character where a lot of it is just him walking around. Um, we can just be like really mobile and it's not too much to organise and it was easy to just go back when we needed to. Yeah, and it just adding to that as well, like while we had worked with these people in the past in other movies, um, there was also Danica. Danica had our, our makeup artist and this was actually her first effort at doing makeup for a movie at all. And I think she just knocked it out of the park completely. Yeah. I remember mm -hmm. Sam sent me through some test photos early on. Um, and from the first eye gouge test, I was like, yes, this is the path that we take. This is, this is the right thing to do. Um, and she was just phenomenal through the process. Mm -hmm. So Sam, I'm looking back through your IMDb and uh, you got three shorts in here. <laughs> <laughs> I just I like how all the names run. There's Minotaur, Man in the Walls, and Man vs. Car. Now I see that Benjamin wasn't a part of the first two. So I, I don't know why. Whenever we get like co-writers or co-directors, I always imagine that they uh have grown up together. And this mm -hmm. is a joint dream and, and they it, stay in bunk beds. Yeah, but a lot of the time it's <laughs> that's a callback to a very terrible interview we did five years ago that's with right. uh they can Vincent remain. And Moorhead. Okay. Yeah, you can we'll go see. ahead and name them. Yeah, we'll name them. <laughs> They were tired. I will make excuses. It's still them. a good joke. Uh, it, it is. So, do you guys have bunk beds? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> so first, uh, Benny, Benny was involved in those movies. He just, I guess, didn't end up on IMDb. But um, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, IMDb sometimes has some issues with accuracy. I think, but I, I am. Um, oh no, I am the Minotaur. I, I know a good lower <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh yeah um, i am the minotaur, yeah, ben, ben, minotaur. I, I wrote men in the walls and, and man versus car but uh yeah and, and you also you also starred in, in man versus car and man in the walls oh yeah i did yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're the titular man i'm guessing That's right um so benny and i we we grew up 10 minutes apart from each other and then met when we were 16 at high school and um, we've said before that we were living basically parallel lives until we intersected <laughs> and, and we've like, we've lived together and 
well, we live in different states now, but um, we never quite had bunk beds. But um, <laughs> I mean, we've slept in vans together, and <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> we've uh, yeah, not quite bunk beds, but close. Hell yeah! How'd you all meet? Um, okay, so I moved to a new high school and didn't have any friends, and I knew that this Benny guy was a film nerd as well, and so I just like basically latched onto him. What was the movie? Yeah. Like, did y'all like connect over one or was there a t-shirt? Evil Dead. Oh, there it hey, is. There we go. <laughs> and Roach was the biggest Evil Dead fan as well at the time. So even in high school age, you you know, 16, uh, you already were knee deep in, in film, both of you guys? Well, yeah, but it was a little bit different because Benny and Roach were allowed to watch like all of the R-rated violent horror flicks, oh, but I yep. wasn't these guys knew it all. And so I was like sort of playing catch up. Yeah. Yeah. My parents were like that too. Yeah. I couldn't mm. watch the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look how you turned out. I know. Okay. Well, are you, are you guys still evil dead fans? Did you catch rise? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like for me, it's still the first one. I think it's um, your favorite evil dead is probably quite telling as to um, a good like personality test. Oh, <laughs> okay so you like so you're an ashley fan not an ash fan yeah yeah yeah. i like the more like just the down and dirty violent nightmarish aspects of the first one all right benjamin which one's yours see I, my favorite's the first one as well but for a different reason uh my favorite's the first one because throughout high school like high school i lived and breathed the audio commentaries of the evil dead um there's on the DVD I had, there was one with Sam Raimi and Rob Tapert, and then there was a second audio commentary with Bruce Campbell. And I just absorbed those and the other making of features of the, of the first movie. Um, and so that's why the first one's my favourite, not because of the movie itself, but because of the aspect of how the movie was made and everything. Um, for the longest yeah. time, the, the second movie was, Evil Dead 2 was my favourite for a long time. Um, but when I started to shift into becoming a, more of a filmmaker as opposed to just a film fanatic, that's when the first one really took over and I, I could see it for all the beauty that it was. Mm-hmm. So did y'all like Drag Me to Hell? I know the horror community was really mixed on that movie. Yeah, I liked but... it. It was, it was fun. But hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it felt very true to like Raimi's original kind of like mean because i i think i think that i think a lot of people hold that movie in high regard they do now i think it had like a renaissance but at the time i think it was a little too mean yeah people didn't like it well she got dragged to hell i know and i'm asking (laughs) i mean they must have like beaten the death death. it's it's the same well okay you say you can learn a lot about your favorite evil dead movie uh mine would be army of darkness what does that say about me (laughs) be you can be honest you're a hack I, I think it makes you must be a really fun-loving guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just looking for a fun time. Yeah, great to be around. Y'all, oh, speaking with a couple Australian yeah, diplomats. Yeah. How today. dare y'all come on here and bully me? No, you know it, what I loved about it was just the Harryhausen influence, and yeah. I, it really God. You know what I, I'm not a huge fan of is the Three Stooges, and they kind yeah. of come head to head in that movie, and I think. <laughs> It's so hard to make a horror film venture into any kind of like fantasy because when you have a protagonist who 
has the ability to fight monsters and win, it's mm-hmm. hard to get scared for him. So mm-hmm. I think that movie mm-hmm. taking a comedy route kind of works, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's just the fact that they had fucking skeletons riding horses that I yeah, can't. Tight. <laughs> yeah, I can't help it. But I mean, <laughs> taking a protagonist turn, it is a little weird to come into a movie called Beaten to Death and find yourself rooting for a dude. I don't know how you felt about him, Clark, but I, I couldn't get out of my head that he was like a desk jockey who had stumbled into like a Texas Chainsaw movie that we had started halfway through. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel bad rooting for you because I, I feel like I'm the part of you making a terrible decision has been omitted. And then when it was reinforced, and I found myself still rooting for him. But see, the flip script, the, the script flips <laughs> very early on here. Yeah, it does. And you're kind of watching a redemption. Yeah. So by the end of the movie, you're like, well, I hope he's actually not beaten to death. Because even though he's blind, we could do like a Zatoichi type thing. And maybe he could be a badass and take over. But yeah, where it's like a, <laughs> it's a John dies at the end, but John really dies in the middle. Yeah, that movie. He should have died. <laughs> Again, I know all the novel fans yeah. out there. Now, I want to go. I want to circle back to the um, the influences real quick. And that, look, you know, you guys, you named the American movies, and that's all fine and great. But I want to know, like, what were some Australian film influences for you guys? Because uh, I, you know, I, I think that's important um, to you know, you know, you want to do something. So you know, I'm from Mississippi. Uh, which is always ranked the 50th state out of all 50th in every category. Literacy. So like, <laughs> so everyone who has ever made it out of Mississippi, I know at the top of my, you know, brain. So it's, you know, the, these are people that, you know, are influential to me because, uh, you know, they did something, you know, they walked in similar shoes that I did. They made it out. So like, those were my people. So like, what was sort of your version of that? Well, the big one that I keep on bringing up is Razorback. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um actually the thing of it, the the Western influence that you guys mentioned, maybe we kind of got that from Razorback Benny, like Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, I am gonna be boring just to follow up with Sam. I'm also going to say Razorback. So for whatever Sam's about Razorback, just I'm saying the same thing as well. <laughs> yeah, I? maybe that's where the Western influence is coming from. Yeah, and like especially visually, because like that movie is stunning like um for a movie about a giant pig like i don't like the term elevated but um it's it's certainly elevated more than to more than what you would expect from a movie like that um the cinematography is just like i I think it's one of the best looking australian movies ever made easily have you ever seen Razorback? No. Clark? You know, the thing about Razorback is it's one of those like animal attack movies, mm-hmm. which I mean, y'all are horror fans. And, you know, whenever a uh, God, I was talking about Alligator a couple of weeks ago. And Alligator is one of those movies that actually will reward you for watching it. Where like crocodile films and shit. They can't deliver on the beast actually killing people. So you get a lot of weird stock footage and cuts and they're just not satisfying. Mm-hmm. Razorback is lit like a fucking Italian horror movie though. And it's just so beautiful. And I remember you go into that and I watched it kind of late. I think it was like 2010s maybe. I think a boutique label put out a really nice copy and you just, you're like, okay, I'll watch it. It's a classic, I guess. And it's, it's striking. I think you would particularly like it because it is very like predator prey kind of movie. Yeah. But it dude, cinematically, 
it's fucking beautiful. And it really does work as an influence for your film. Cause I can't get away from that. Like art house pacing of your movie. I'm going to get, I'm going to get an answer on how you guys like settled on that. Cause it's so far removed from a title of beaten to death. Yeah. As far as the pacing goes, I don't really know, but when we were, when we were doing writing this and developing it, um, we kind of got to this point where we had, we had absolute confidence in what we were doing, that it was our vision where we were writing it for ourselves. No one else had to be involved. It was just 100% the movie that we wanted to make. And so there were times when if we were discussing a scene or whatever, we'd say, like, no, that's not beaten to death, or yes, that is beaten to death. Um, so, yeah, the pacing of it, I don't, I don't know where that comes from exactly. Can you? Uh, like I think you know, a lot of it is just what Sam was just saying where – we weren't focused on we weren't focused on oh making the movie marketable. We weren't focused on what are the audience going to be thinking at this time with this scene. It was purely just we know what beaten to death is and we know what it what it's not. And if we went to put something in that wasn't it, it was like, no, that's not beaten to death. And so maybe that somehow influenced the pacing of it. Um, but I know that we were never we were never like oh, we should never do this in a movie. This was the movie of ours where we just threw the rule book out the window and we just did what felt right. Um, it didn't It didn't matter about convention or uh, something from film school saying, oh, this should never be done. It was just a, well, this is what the death is. It, you know, it's interesting because, again, uh, I don't know if you know about me and Clark, but we're very educated on film and we know the whole history and it reminds me of a moment in time where uh, the Italian cinema was kind of pushing back. I, or no, it was German. Randy, don't you fucking come in here and correct me. I think it was German New Wave where they started doing a thing called like a frame within a frame. And it would be like you'd have a camera outside of a bedroom where the actors are in and you would shoot them through the door and they would linger there. And honestly, it was it was an attempt to kind of dismantle uh, American filmmaking and give an audience time to reflect on what was happening with the characters. And the idea was like it, you're looking at like a picture frame, like you would enjoy art. And I was getting that from your film, because if we're on a journey in the middle of a movie called Beaten to Death and you're starting to root for this dude and, you know, you get a beautiful shot of the sun setting. And you're kind of lingering there. You can't help but think, I hope he isn't beaten to death. <laughs> and I think it really did add this kind of like purgatory vibe. Like, mm -hmm. because it really feels like no matter what he does, every little victory. Well, see, that's the thing. And I, I don't necessarily, I think you're using the word pace, but I, I, it's, I, it's not a pace. Because the feeling through the whole thing is, is a, a very foreboding feeling. Because, you know, we're, we're on this journey with this guy. And yeah. um, I also think that the sort of nonlinear element also plays into that too. So it gives it gives your brain something else to think about since we're going back and forth. Yeah. Otherwise, we're on this very, you know, long journey where we don't know where we're going, but I know one thing, that it wasn't going to be good no matter where we're going to end up. No. That it was going to be bad. And so you just feel that, you feel the weight and the heaviness the whole way. Or maybe it isn't. You got to watch the movie. No. I'll tell you right now, <laughs> I, uh, I was like, eh, this might end up okay. You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? 
Do you know, as a horror There's fan, no way. I was talking about this last night. The man's uh, eyes are gone. Now, correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong. It's not going to be Ray Charles overnight. No. What do you mean? He's going to learn to play piano? <laughs> no. Now, Clark, you know, uh, we try not to let our audience know this, but he's not really a horror fan. And I know you two are. So let me know if you've ever had the experience where you rent a movie or you watch it streaming. And in the title, it will say Massacre. You're like, oh, great. I'm looking for a lot of kills here. And then they don't deliver. Because I feel like, oh, God, Texas Chainsaw's right there. That's an exception, so nobody can bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> but most of these films, they do not deliver that. So I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe Welcome Villain, like, fucked up a little bit. <laughs> these guys aren't going <laughs> to deliver on their title. And maybe you don't. You have to watch a movie. But yeah, that is a real thing. Do you guys, that has to have happened to you, even in Australia, where you rent a movie, like, Driller Killer Massacre, which and there is kind of a massacre there, too. Is that Randy? Oh, I thought Randy popped in because oh, I mentioned Abel Ferrara. I think we lost Benny. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Am I crazy? Have you rented a massacre movie and gotten no massacre? You know what? Benny's <laughs> Benny's just dropped out here, and he'd be the one that would have a <laughs> I guarantee. Hold on. Um, I'm, I'm looking up. Oh, Slumber Party Massacre? No. He's massacre. watching Benny's video. No, oh, there he's Massacre. <laughs> After <laughs> School Massacre. Jersey Shore Massacre. Oh, pool Party Massacre. Microwave Massacre. Microwave Massacre is a good one, and there's a lot of comedy that I wasn't looking for either. You know what? No, fuck this. Don't answer that question. What we need, <laughs> we're in the world of uh, digital content, and we need good content, and we need y'all's help. What are the deep-cut Australian horrors that we don't know about out here in the state? They can be art house. They can be um, illegal. <laughs> we're, we're open to watching anything. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, the first one, again, like we'll go back to Razorback, but we've already got that that one. Um, what was that one you watched recently, Benny? Kadacha. Kadacha, also known as the Stones of Death, I think it is. Oh, okay. Uh, it's kind of this Nightmare on Elm Street meets creature feature of sorts. Um, I, I appreciate what it was trying to do because it was done on a, on a very low budget uh, in the in the late 80s. And I, just, I, had a, I, I had a bit of fun with it. So, um, I mean, it's available here on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure about uh, around the world how it's available to watch. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pity with Australian film. Um, there's a lot that up until just a few years ago was very hard to find. Like if you didn't have it on VHS, you didn't have a chance at finding it at oh, all. So it. there's been a recent resurgence in some of these films where I think um, the streaming platforms here in Australia were under pressure to put Australian content on. Um, and so that's kind of revitalised these films from being forgotten. Um, but, yeah, Kadoacha would be one of the ones I might suggest to people if they're looking for something out of the ordinary. Mm, but then I suppose a lot of the, like, more well-known ones probably made it their way to America anyway. So, like, obviously, you know, Wolf Creek, um, the loved ones would be another one. Like, like Mungo is one that's had like a massive resurgence lately. Yeah. Um. Or not massive, but like it's, it's 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 finally getting out there. Um, yeah. Remember, we we live in the found footage world. Lake Mungo's <laughs> kind of been a. It's one of those movies where we always get people who are like, I don't fuck with found footage, but I like Lake Mungo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, wait. And now I'm getting the feeling y'all don't fuck with found footage. (laughs) 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 Defensive Russells, maybe the Paris. What the the hell? Do you own the Blair Witch? Prove it. Show it. We we actually are massive fans of the Blair Witch. 
Um, but I think a lot of found footage is like I find it to be pretty samey. Um, yeah. yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So like I'm not I'm not opposed to found footage. I, I just find that it's hard to find the good ones that stand out. Yeah, well, now you know us. So <laughs> we will, we will tra- see. Here's the thing: y'all are guarded with your Australian horror. You give us the secret. That, don't worry, we don't have to share it with the podcast people. But uh, we'll we'll give you a good found footage list. Yeah, all right. It'll be a good trade. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Here's one that's popular right now. Um, Deadstream is kind of like a mixture oh, yeah. between Unfriended. I don't know if y'all saw that, but it's mm-hmm. like um, it's very Evil Dead. So just to keep it on that that common ground, I think Deadstream may be a good gateway. Yeah, also yeah, Space I, Clown. I saw that recently. Oh yeah, God. it was it was very much. I got the vibe where it started to shift more and more into like Evil Dead Two territory, and I was like, "Oh, I'm really vibing this." I, I had a lot of fun with, with Deadstream. All right, I got Benjamin. So now you can share <laughs> the good ones with me off air. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's a bummer because I would like to think we're overlooking. Like, I want to watch some like indie Australian horror films. Like, do you guys have a community out there, or is it like, are you guys alone? Because I know out here there's a million people doing indie we're, horror. There's a bunch of different companies, but we were actually talking about this the other day. Where like this year in particular, um, there's been quite a few Australian horror movies, um, which have been like getting into some good festivals and like, obviously the big one is talk to me. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But then there's also been, um, uh, uh, late night with the devil, um, is apparently really cool. There's an Eastfield exorcism. Um, and we're actually discussing how we don't know any of these guys and maybe we should reach out. Like, um, I don't know if you guys ever listened to the Mick Garris horror podcast, but he often talks about like he has his masters of horror dinners and we're like, man, why oh, don't yeah. we have one of those here? I know. <laughs> Best <laughs> hair and horror. Maybe they do. Maybe we're just not invited. Yeah, maybe we're not Australian yeah. masters yet. <laughs> now, um, I'll be a little honest with y'all. Mick Garris, like Clark said, fantastic hair. Best hair and horror. But I don't think he's sitting at that table unless he's hosting the event. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I'm just saying, you know, here's the thing. He's definitely like an icon and he's got a big filmography, but he doesn't really have those like, like Wes Craven. He would get a bunch of shit for having not great movies. And he's constantly compared to John Carpenter, who's clearly a fantastic filmmaker. But I think Wes Craven had a great mind and every decade he would have a movie that would change the genre. So you can mm. overlook uh cursed <laughs> or, uh, you know, like all these weird ones that he would make. Hey man. But uh, Mick Garris, I don't know. Are you looking him up right now? I mean, you know, critters too. Uh, okay. <laughs> Come on. Hocus pocus. He was, so, he was banned, didn't he? Truly, yeah, he was I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, but um, I'm like, you, that's what I mean. Like, it's kind of like you're like, oh yeah, he did some cool stuff, but like, he's got fantastic hair, so we got to keep him around. That hair's that hair's top notch. Yeah, but those dinners, those are a little weird. You, you all could get in there. Uh, you get a couple that? more movies under your belt because they got fucking Adam Green in there, Joe Lynch sitting there with Takashi Miike. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, <laughs> they got room for y'all. But yeah, spent a lot of money in there. I've heard. You know, it's funny. I didn't even think of the fucking Rocker Rocket guys. When I'm, we're talking about Australian horror, because yeah. talk to me, it's huge over here. Mm. And I don't know if y'all are into physical media, 
But I think A24 is putting out an edition where you can get like the hand with yeah, it. Yeah, and it, there's a distributor here doing the same thing. Yeah. It retails for like over a hundred dollars. Like how bad do you want that hand? If don't you'll put it right ask, there in camera, put it in the frame of the camera. I, re- I really want it. But, but I'm like get, the hand that you get with the Australian release is actually blank. Like it doesn't have all the like scribbles and stuff on it. And so I think the idea is to like put your own scribbles on it. Yeah, but what would you scribble? Because I I think in the movie there's clearly a like grocery list. (laughs) (laughs) Your ex girlfriends, you'd write all their names on there. You're like, I hope you shake their. That's right. Well, it's two, so just (laughs) (laughs) yeah. There's really not enough. Yeah, pretty easy. Yeah, fuck. I don't know. Did you all look that movie? I actually only just saw it last night. Yeah, loved it. Good. Oh, it's fresh. Talk to our engineer who was like, "I'm not impressed." Fucking idiot, oh. Randy. Yeah, Randy, defend yourself. I, I saw it at the cinemas and I, I friggin' loved it. It was, I found it, like, I was creeped out. Uh, like, that hand edition of the DVD, fuck no, that is not going anywhere in my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, y'all are, so y'all are Evil Dead fans. D- did you ever get the um the DVD that had the, like, squishy cover? Roach did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you now, any of this Roach? Yeah, I, I had it as well. Roach had it too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, right. How, how the fuck did that hold up in the Australian climate? Because I know the thing now is that they've like, they're starting to turn to dust. I have mine in a plastic bag on a shelf to try and preserve its integrity. Mine's probably not in good shape. I have one too. Oh, in Mississippi? Yeah. Where the fuck is it? Like in a cardboard In a, in a closet. Yeah, I don't, it might be mummified. Yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the d- is actually like degrading, is it? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I yeah, it's chipping off. I actually talked to a special effects guy and I'm like, is there anything I can do? And he was like, Oh, you throw it in a plastic bag and don't touch it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, perfect. That's what I want. Like it went from like display to like, hey everybody, this is the beginning of like merchandise in physical format. Like this changed the game to like now it's hidden away. Yeah. It's a fucking mm. touchy hands. Yeah, but I don't know. How's yours holding up? I got no idea how mine is, like, because mine is just all my DVDs are just stored at my parents' house in a box in the garage, like in boxes and boxes and boxes in the garage. It's like the it's like the um the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, just all these boxes. Who <laughs> God knows where this DVD is at the moment, but uh, I can tell you now it hasn't seen the light of day in the last ten years. So maybe it's intact. Maybe it could be the the best quality uh, copy out there. You know. I should get it graded. Benjamin, what the, <laughs> what the fuck? Look behind you. I see a blank wall. We need to get a movie uh, poster up there or something. Yeah. Put a shelf. Well, I'm actually in Korea at the moment. I'm at my in-laws. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Hell yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, I'm on holidays. Uh, so, yeah. I, I'm oh, not going to well, be putting I'm... up any, uh, any Korean horror posters up there anytime soon. It might creep them out. It was All 6 right. a.m. <laughs> in Korea for Benny to make this chat, boys, just so you know. Oh, oh my God. Well, Dude, Benny, I'm. <laughs> well, you know, normally our guests leave disappointed, but you got to be at the top of that list right now. <laughs> are, are you there alone, or is there like a significant other that you had to kick out of the room? Uh, yeah, I'm here alone at my in laws place in Korea, third guys. Now I've got my got my wife here too. So, but she she's oh she's apologized to her. To her. <laughs> 
Wow. Amazing. I, uh, you know what? If you ever come to the Bay Area, we'll, I don't know, we'll figure something out. We'll treat you to it. But I, please apologize to her. Like, <laughs> God damn. That's fantastic. Hey, and you know, I, I think yeah, we're running. Yeah, along. we did it. Yeah, uh, man, I love you guys. Um, the fact that uh, <laughs> let me find the name. <laughs> welcome villain. <laughs> That's it, dude. I keep wanting to call it Hello Neighbor. I know the fact that Welcome Villain picked you all up is was reason enough for us to like seek you out. And um, I don't think it was an accident. You guys made something interesting here. I do think people are going to find it challenging because your film does invoke some thought and like reflection. Where you know beaten to death it looks like we're coming into saw 10 or something like we're just gonna see blood and dumb people dying and uh i think it's gonna be a worthwhile journey and are any of your shorts available because i would definitely like to watch those i don't think we do we don't have any online do we no we maybe, you, maybe we should put some up there versus car, and we'll send you another one that we did called roadkill which also stars thomas roach oh fuck yeah Fantastic. please i would love any of that and um so guys, real quick, uh, when's the uh, when's the movie released, and uh, what's it look like, and how can people watch it when it's out? Benny, is it the? Uh, it's the nineteenth in America. It comes out to VOD. Um, so it had its cinema run recently, um, but it's only uh, locked in for distribution at the moment in the United States. So everyone else in the world, speak to your local horror distributors and say, "Hey, why the fuck haven't you picked up Beaten to Death?" Yeah. That's oh, the game. Or rock a VPN. Right? Yeah. You can get around yeah. it that way. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard uh I have a friend who's a teacher and he works in a Catholic girls' school. And he said that these little girls use sketchy fucking VPNs. So if y'all if they can figure it out, <laughs> anybody can watch this movie. Just make sure they're getting some money for it. Um, where can we follow you online? Do you have um Instagram, TikTok? Yeah, so MySpace. <laughs> we're beaten to death on Facebook, and my personal Instagram is Squirt and Curtain. Squirt and Curtain. Did I hear that correctly? <laughs> <laughs> How did we not lead with that and Korea? <laughs> dude, Benjamin, dude, thank you so much for getting up early for this. I, I, oh, I truly dude. hope you don't regret it. No, no, no. And, I loved uh, it. We I loved gotta, it. It was great. All right, we got to stay in contact too because I think you guys are going to be making some interesting movies in the future. So uh, please let us know. We'll be happy to promote anything. Thanks again, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye. <laughs>